Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 173. Let's talk App Store. Hi, I'm Neil. It's been a while since we last talked to each other. One reason is the most recent Above Avalon article, which this episode will be based on, took a while to put together. In some ways, it was reflective of the current news cycle. There have been a number of developments regarding the App Store that I don't think are getting enough attention. And one objective in this episode is to go over that topic. But this episode is also going to be a little bit different than the usual episode because we are going to have two topics. So we'll talk about the App Store first, but then we will also talk about something new that I recently launched, another podcast. It's called Above Avalon Daily. It's published Monday through Thursday. I think some of you will be interested in hearing about that new podcast. So we are going to talk about that after the App Store. So stay tuned for that. This year has been a crazy one when thinking about Apple news. I will go so far as to say it's been the busiest year for Apple since at least I launched Above Avalon back in 2014. When we look specifically at the past few weeks, one topic that has gotten a lot of attention is the App Store. By now, you probably have heard or seen news of Epic Games going after Apple and the App Store. There's a lot going on here. And I think there's a lot of worrying things going on here. Meanwhile, something like a genuine debate about the App Store is missing. And that got me thinking that there's something odd here. There's something that's not right when it comes to the App Store, and specifically when it comes to these companies going after the App Store. Apple competitors have turned to guerrilla warfare tactics to wage a battle against Apple and the App Store. Based on what is being written and said about the App Store, one would think we have entered a tech dystopia in which 27 million iOS developers and a billion Apple users are being taken advantage of by Tim Cook and his allegiance to Wall Street. What had been valid criticism aimed at the App Store has descended into calls to burn everything down and replace it with anti-consumer and anti-developer alternatives. The writing is on the wall. Apple is pulling away from the competition, and the App Store is considered the best and last chance for competitors to reshape the mobile industry to their liking. The best way to go deeper into this discussion is to first focus on the App Store, because in many ways, I think this element is missing from all of these articles written about the App Store. We have tended to forget what it is that's actually being talked about. We have never seen anything like the App Store, a curated marketplace where a billion users can access 1.7 million apps. Apple established an easy, safe, private, and convenient way for consumers to personalize nearly 1.3 billion iPhones and iPads with third-party applications. Approximately 500 million people visit the App Store each week. It's a remarkable figure that speaks to how the App Store continues to connect with consumers on a global basis. In fiscal year 2019, App Store revenue was an estimated $53 billion. 
That's my estimate. Apple's share of that revenue came out to $14 billion. Again, that's another one of my estimates. And by the way, Apple generates much less when it comes to App Store profit. Some have tried to say that there was a viable, safe, cost-efficient, and overall compelling form of software distribution to the mass market prior to the existence of the App Store. There's one problem with such a claim. The mass market didn't consume software prior to the App Store. In 2008, the year the App Store launched, only 20% of people even had access to the internet. There are a number of reasons why the iPhone install base is eight times larger than the Mac install base. And the App Store is high on that list. The App Store is not perfect. A small but vocal segment of the iOS developer community has spent years raising concerns and issues regarding the App Store, and in particular two items, app review and the way Apple enforces App Store guidelines. However, over the past 18 months, App Store criticism began to take on a dramatically different look and feel. We had multinationals enter the fray. In just the past few months, Facebook, Microsoft, Airbnb, and Epic Games have raised concerns about the App Store. Spotify was one of the early App Store opponents. The company took what now looks like a delicate approach to raising specific issues with the App Store and what it deemed to be anti-competitive behavior on Apple's part. In my opinion, Spotify was grasping at straws with most of its claims, but a few concerns had merit. Microsoft decided to go behind Apple's back to secretly get U.S. lawmakers to investigate the App Store on monopolistic grounds. Airbnb, they ran to the New York Times to air its grievance about wanting a special deal from Apple so it didn't need to follow long-standing App Store guidelines. However, it was Epic Games' attack against Apple that marked a turning point in App Store criticism. Epic relied on a different kind of strategy. There were two components to this strategy. The first, breaking App Store guidelines willingly and blatantly. And the second, leveraging users and the press to its advantage. We have never seen a company actually take pride in breaking App Store guidelines. Epic made sure everyone knew it was breaking App Store rules by offering a virtual currency as an in-app purchase without going through Apple Payment. Instead of making the battle be between two companies, Epic decided to weaponize its user and fan base and attempt to wage an uprising against Apple. In this pursuit, Epic also tried to use the press more than any other company that came before in going after the App Store. These corporations are ultimately after the same goal, to weaken Apple's ironclad grip over the App Store. While many independent developers are simply focused on finding financial sustainability for their families, the multinationals are more interested in pulling iOS from under Apple's control in order to gain power at the expense of Apple. This brings up a question. Why go after the App Store in the first place? The answer is found with how Apple is pulling away from the competition like never before. A revised product strategy, pull the push, and a broader consumer technology landscape that is swinging and missing on bet after bet are the two primary factors behind Apple's momentum. However, the App Store plays a vital role 
in setting Apple devices apart from the competition. Accordingly, the App Store may seem like an unusual target for Apple competitors. The digital storefront is very popular with users, and that's based on usage trends, and developers. Most developers don't pay Apple anything beyond a nominal developer fee to transact business through the App Store. No one is questioning the App Store's success or popularity. Instead, competitors see a way to turn App Store success into a weakness. Due to extensive lobbying efforts, most of which were driven by Apple competitors, governments and regulatory bodies from around the world are investigating the claim that Apple is relying on monopolistic behavior to achieve App Store success. Competitors see these regulatory investigations as a potential vulnerability in Apple's armor. Breaking up or watering down the App Store would allow competitors to leverage the iOS ecosystem to their advantage. In essence, we're talking about Apple losing control over app distribution in its own ecosystem. Competitors would no longer be subject to revenue share arrangements with Apple. In addition, they would be able to establish their own digital storefronts to go direct to customers. Companies like Epic don't want there to be a genuine debate about the App Store. If the debate were to boil down to one's experience using the App Store, Epic and other App Store critics would lose. The goal is to change the narrative and position the App Store as being fundamentally broken, with the only remedy being alternative App Stores free from Apple oversight. This sentiment is summarized in the following tweet from Epic Games founder and CEO Tim Sweeney. Quote, At the most basic level, we're fighting for the freedom of people who bought smartphones to install apps from sources of their choosing, the freedom for creators of apps to distribute them as they choose, and the freedom of both groups to do business directly, end quote. We are witnessing a guerrilla war that is being waged by Apple's competitors. This campaign includes companies and CEOs trying to win the moral high ground by appealing to consumers' and developers' emotions. Other goals include trying to distract and tire Apple with relentless App Store attacks coming from all directions and using the press to do much of the heavy anti-App Store lifting. Nearly every article written about Apple's latest App Store controversy and battle inevitably includes paragraphs of boilerplate language regarding the App Store's growing list of regulatory issues around the world. Meanwhile, no space is dedicated to the holes and hypocrisy found in competitors' claims and allegations against the App Store. This is a classic example of a PR guerrilla warfare tactic utilized by competitors in an attempt to sway the discussion and public opinion. There are then companies running to the press to paint Apple as the evil behemoth going after small business owners during the pandemic. Facebook, Airbnb, and ClassPass have relied on such shady tactics to attack Apple, portraying Apple as a small business killer is a new low. To a certain extent, companies like Epic have been successful in quelling App Store debate. Twitter is a prime example of this. Allegations that Apple's milking developers in order to drive revenue and profit growth are passed around with no supporting evidence or numbers. Pointing out that the App Store isn't as profitable as consensus assumes is now met with backlash. None of this was the case just 12 months ago. In order to support the claim that the App Store isn't as profitable as consensus assumes, I did publish my estimates for App Store profitability on both a net and gross basis. I'll include a link 
to that in the show notes. It was found in a daily update. Another thing that jumped out at me was the lack of perspective coming from customers. How many articles have been focused on how consumers think about the App Store? Or what consumers want out of the App Store? Such articles don't exist. They apparently aren't as interesting or worthy of consideration versus just another company XYZ goes after Apple. Meanwhile, you talk about it in the first paragraph or two, and then you just simply take chunks of previous articles about how other companies are attacking Apple, and you put that into the article. So now you have a long article all about how everyone apparently is going after the App Store. It's nonsense. Consumers, not Apple, are the group who ultimately ends up supporting tens of millions of developers financially. And yet most of the commentary written about the App Store has come from the perspective of competitors with pending lawsuits against Apple. Hijacking what had been a genuine debate regarding the App Store's treatment of independent developers in order to prop up their own ambition, companies like Epic are revealing their true intentions. These companies aren't going after the App Store with the interests of independent developers or users in mind. Advocating for an alternative App Store is not pro-developer or pro-consumer. It's just a way for these companies to make more money. At the heart of Epic's fight against the App Store is the need to have both developers and users on its side. There's a simple reason for such a goal. Epic's underlying arguments against Apple regarding antitrust are fundamentally weak. In a 62-page lawsuit filed against Apple, Epic alleges the company holds a monopoly in two things. One, iOS app distribution, and two, iOS in-app payment processing. There's one problem with those claims. Apple doesn't have monopolies in any particular product device category. Meanwhile, claiming Apple has a monopoly on what goes on in the App Store is equivalent to claiming Apple has a monopoly on a premium experience. In what is an ironic twist, Epic ends up demonstrating Apple's lack of monopoly in mobile gaming and app distribution. According to Epic, two-thirds of Fortnite users play the game on non-Apple hardware. If Apple held a monopoly on mobile app distribution, Apple's decision to remove Fortnite from the App Store would have been a lights-out moment for the game. Gamers have alternatives if they want to use them. It's time for these guerrilla warfare tactics against the App Store to be called out in an effort to have a genuine debate about the App Store. Such a debate is sorely needed. It wouldn't be about revenue share percentages, alternative app stores, or items like sideloading. It said the discussion is found with how Apple should balance customer and developer interest. Some iOS developers feel like Apple is treating them like second-class citizens in its ecosystem. These developers want to know why Apple doesn't go out of its way to make sure they are making as much money as possible. Instead, they feel they are being constantly attacked by App Store Review. It's a valid concern that Apple needs to take seriously. Are we seeing Apple erring more on the side of customers to the detriment of developers? It may be an uncomfortable question to ask with an Apple, but it deserves to be investigated. Apple positions its customers, not profit as the guiding light for everything it does. This customer-first focus extends to the App Store as well. Management's actions with the App Store can be traced to ensuring the store's viability and vitality. Both are critical for maintaining the App Store as a benefit for consumers. 
If users are content and happy, developers end up benefiting as well. The two go hand in hand. There are three things that can help keep the customer versus developer dynamic found with the App Store in proper balance. The first one, allow increased in-app communication between developers and customers. Letting developers communicate more freely with users and apps stands to be a positive development for both parties. Allowing developers to include language like, visit our website for additional ways of buying our service, wouldn't hurt customers, and will be viewed positively for developers. Now, of course, there could be an element of opening Pandora's box here. What if someone includes language like, don't buy this service in the app, instead go to our website? You could see how that starts to be anti-consumer. And that may be why Apple has remained very strict on this point so far. However, I think this is something that needs to be reopened and taken a closer look at. Odds are good that we will see Apple make some changes on this front, given the European Commission's review of App Store practices. The second item that can help keep the customer versus developer dynamic found with the App Store in proper balance is give developers more say over App Store guideline enforcement. App Store guidelines can be thought of as laws, but with no direct mechanism, like voting, for getting revised or rewritten. The ability to bring cases before some kind of review panel would be a step in the right direction. If there was something like the Supreme Court for App Store guidelines, a panel of Apple executives could determine if certain App Store guidelines would end up harming the broader Apple ecosystem. Last month, Apple announced something along these lines, and I would expect more in this regard going forward. The third item is come up with the next App Store. By spending time now coming up with tomorrow's App Store, Apple can benefit both developers and customers. The lack of attention given to this topic is telling. While Apple competitors are eager to replace the App Store with their own mobile app stores, the entire app dynamic loses its relevancy when thinking about wearables. We are going to need a complete rethink of apps as we proceed further into the wearables era. It's difficult to envision any other product or feature other than the App Store that has done more in bringing such a wide variety of innovation to a billion users. It's not an understatement to say that the App Store changed the world and is still doing so today. By painting Apple as a monopolistic giant, relying on App Store tolls and taxes to surpass a $2 trillion market cap, competitors are dragging the App Store through the mud. Revenue share percentages and angst over App Store guidelines end up being distractions for what is ultimately a classic case of wanting more power. With Apple pulling away from the competition like never before, it's not a mystery as to why competitors see urgency. As mentioned earlier, this episode contains two discussion topics. So we just concluded our discussion of the App Store, and now I want to spend a little bit of time talking about a new podcast I launched called Above Avalon Daily. And I think there's an opportunity here to take a step back and also talk about podcasting in general. I know a lot of you are interested in podcasting. I know some of you are interested in what I'm doing with Above Avalon, what's going on behind the scenes, some of the business talk of Above Avalon. So we will talk a little bit about that as well. 
Over the past five years, 2,000-word written daily updates have served as the cornerstone of Above Avalon membership. If I break out my daily schedule, these daily updates would occupy most of my time. For some weeks, it's all of my time when it comes to Above Avalon. With more than 1,000 updates published to date, I'm proud to say that these emails have become widely read and influential in the world of Apple. In an effort to make it easier to consume the written daily updates in new and different ways, I'm excited to announce a new daily podcast called Above Avalon Daily, designed as an add-on feature that could be attached to an existing membership. Above Avalon Daily allows the written daily updates to be accessible beyond screens. Members now have the ability to consume the daily updates around the house, on a walk, or in the car. As many of you know, I'm a big believer in podcast. This is the 173rd episode of the Above Avalon podcast. I started in 2014. And my expectation is that there's going to be another 173 episodes of this podcast. In some ways, I feel like I'm only now getting into the swing of things. Not only does the podcast medium offer a different consumption experience compared to written content, but the two supplement each other. Based on feedback over the years, many AboveAvalon.com readers also listen to this podcast, and vice versa. Many of you also read the articles over at AboveAvalon.com. My expectation is that such a dynamic will now be found with the written and audio versions of the Above Avalon daily updates. So some people may listen to Above Avalon Daily first and then read that episode's transcript via the corresponding written daily update, which will continue to be sent out via email. I think this is especially true when it comes to financial topics covered in the updates. There will be other people who want to read the updates first and then listen to the updates at a later time, maybe while driving, at the gym, or doing anything that may limit screen access. I think that's where the power of podcasting truly is found, when it can be combined with other mediums. As for some of the details regarding this new second podcast, Above Avalon Daily episodes will closely follow that day's written update. So we have episodes revolving around Apple business and strategy analysis, my perspective and observations on current news, and Apple competitors, my Apple financial estimates, and full coverage of Apple earnings, product events, and keynotes. In creating the Above Avalon Daily podcast, it became clear pretty early on that one cannot simply take the written daily update and then recite or dictate them word for word. There are too many quoted passages, numbers, exhibits, charts, data points. Accordingly, each episode includes some curation, new transitions, and commentary that help convert the written daily update into an enjoyable audio format. Each episode is approximately 15 minutes. Earnings and event episodes will run longer. Similar to the written daily update schedule, there are four new podcast episodes a week, and that works out to a little under 200 episodes a year. In terms of when these episodes are released, 
it's after that day's daily update is published. So I am based in the Eastern time zone. New episodes have been coming out in the evening time frame. And this makes it possible for new episodes to be listened to first thing the following morning in most regions. If you are in Asia or Australia, new episodes are coming out in the AM as well. Of course, you can listen to new episodes as soon as they're published. When it comes to how this daily podcast works, Transistor is handling the behind-the-scenes mechanics of Above Avalon Daily. It's a private podcast that can still be listened to in various podcast players, including Apple Podcasts and Overcast, both of which were great with Above Avalon Daily. The podcast relies on private RSS feeds, so that makes it possible for new Above Avalon Daily episodes to show up only for members who have purchased the podcast add-on. One of my goals here was to make the setup process as simple as possible. And I think up to now, a lot of the solutions were a little bit clunky. There were a lot of copying and pasting. There's a lot of questions over how to get things working. I've been very happy with the way Transistor handles this. And based on feedback from people who have become above Avalon Daily listeners, they really do like the setup process because it is super simple. I timed the process out and I think it took about 10 seconds to get the podcast up and running. The way it works is that after you purchase the podcast add-on, you receive an email. This email directs you to a sign-up page that lists all of the various podcast players that can be used to listen to the podcast. Depending on which device you open this sign-up page, you'll see the corresponding podcast players, which I think is a nice feature. So that means if you open the page in an iPhone, you can see all of the various iOS podcast players. Open the page on a Mac, and you can see all of the options for listening to the podcast on a Mac. All you have to do is select your preferred podcast player. That's it. There's no need to create a separate login, password, or transistor profile. In the vast majority of cases, there's no need to copy or paste a link or RSS feed. You don't have to worry about any of that. After you select your preferred podcast player, all of the previously published Above Avalon Daily episodes will automatically appear in your podcast feed. There are already three hours worth of daily updates available. And then new episodes will appear as they are published. In terms of the big picture, Above Avalon Daily marks the start of members being able to customize their membership to better suit their lifestyle and background. Based on the sign-up rates so far since I launched this podcast, I've been very happy. They have exceeded my expectations, and it tells me that there is a bright future when it comes to podcasting and Above Avalon membership. The Above Avalon Daily Podcast is available as an add-on that is attached to an Above Avalon membership, and that add-on costs $10 per month or $100 per year. Sign-up forms are available over at AboveAvalon.com. Just go to the Daily Podcast page. In addition, I'll include a link in the show notes to those sign-up forms. Over on the Daily Podcast page, there are also two sample episodes of the Above Avalon Daily, so that will give you a good sense of what each episode is like. At this point, I did want to reiterate a few things. The first is there is no change 
to the written daily updates continuing to serve as the cornerstone to Above Avalon membership. All of my analysis and perspective that is sent to members will continue to be found in the written daily updates. This new daily podcast is an option for members. It's for those who want another way of consuming the daily updates. The second point is that there will be no change to this podcast, the Above Avalon podcast. This podcast will continue to be based on the articles over at AboveAvalon.com, which will also continue to be accessible to everyone. I know this episode was different because we had two discussion topics. We will go back to the usual one episode, one topic, and that topic being tied to the latest article available over at AboveAvalon.com. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy the analysis and perspective found in these podcast episodes and in the articles over at AboveAvalon.com, which are accessible to everyone, I think you'll be interested in receiving my exclusive daily updates all about Apple. As mentioned earlier, these updates are an email. Each one is 2,000 words and is sent directly into your inbox Monday through Thursday. And now there is an option to receiving these daily updates in podcast form. To become a member, simply head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. There are two options available. It is either $20 per month or $200 per year. Once on the membership page, you will also find the full list of member privileges and benefits. And also there are frequently asked questions. So if you do have a question about Above Avalon membership, the daily updates, the daily podcasts, everything is there. Of course, if you have other questions, feel free to reach out. There is a contact page over at AboveAvalon.com that you can use. I am proud to say that Above Avalon is fully sustained by membership. So if you're currently an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. And if you are planning on becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later.